I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Hello, folks, and welcome to our first daily tennis podcast from the US Open 2020. It's one o'clock in the morning UK time, which means it's 8 p.m. New York time. Matt's nodding at me in appreciation of my nimble mathematics there. Thanks very much, Matt. It is only Matt here to appreciate my nimble mathematics because as we speak at one o'clock in the morning, David Law, who, like the trooper that he is, having commentated on five sets of Cameron Norrie <laughs> against Diego Schwartzman earlier, more of that to come, is now embroiled in a potential further British five-setter between Kyle Edmund and Alexander Bublik, meaning that Matt came up with the interesting suggestion that we record a two-part podcast, both parts featuring... Matt Roberts, one part featuring Catherine Whitaker, one part featuring David Law. It's a it's a quite literal mix. I've become an anchor accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Are you sure you're good to go, Matt?" And you said, "I'm as good as I'm ever going to get to go." Yeah, this so is good luck me. to David with the with the <laughs> part two, with Matt. the second part. <laughs> which might be at about three o'clock in the morning, something like that. We've both been listening to David on the radio, though, and it's peak David Law. I think it you're really going to get a good. I think you're going to get a good David Law for the second part. So stick around for that. David and Matt will wrap up uh, the night session, which features Novak Djokovic, who, as I speak to you, is demolishing uh, Demir Jumhur, but. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. Maybe you'll be talking in five hours' time about a Demir Jumhur fight back, Matt. Matt's face I'm doesn't not prepared seem for to that be expressing <laughs> particular enthusiasm for that scenario. And Naomi Osaka also plays under the lights on Ash against Miss Saki Doi. And of course, uh, they will round up the developing thriller between Kyle Edmund and the extremely fun Alexander Bublik. I'll leave that to David to describe all the ways in which he's fun, because there are many. But uh, the reason that Kyle Edmund, the third match of the day on court number five, <laughs> is still uh, ongoing at one o'clock in the morning UK time is because Cameron Norrie 
and 9C Diego Schwartzman took 400 hours earlier, Matt, <laughs> to complete their first round match. A match that featured more break points than have ever been featured in any match in US Open history. And it really, really felt like it, didn't it? It was one of those matches where if you were to just give the headlines, you would think it had been a classic. There were more break points than there's ever been. Back and forth. Result in the balance right until the end. It wasn't a classic. <laughs> Despite all of that, the quality of tennis was quite low, I felt, unfortunately. And I think I think Cameron Norrie did a very good job to hang in there. He was two sets down. He, you know, this is the second time in his career he's come back from two sets down. The the first time was his Davis Cup debut, wasn't it, against Roberto Bautista Agu a couple of years ago. Um, but Schwartzman's behaviour and sort of attitude was was really strange. He was quite grumpy, and I haven't I don't associate him with being a grumpy person. I'm not sure what happened to him. It, it was an extremely bizarre match. I mean, from a from an Amazon perspective, I was presenting for for Prime Video today, as you say, on paper. British player fights back from two sets to love down to win first match of our coverage of the tournament. I mean, mm. the dream, right? It did not feel like a dream. Well, it felt <laughs> like a bad dream. I mean, I'm so pleased for Cam Norrie and, and his competitive spirit and all the rest of it. Really impressive. Um, and he's a, a really likeable chap. But it it wasn't an enjoyable watch by any means. And particularly because... That was the most bizarre Diego Schwartzman performance I've ever seen. You know, he was ninth seed at this slam. I think that's the first time he's been a top 10 seed at a slam. He had a, a good run at this tournament last year. That's a horrible result for him today. And there were periods there where I know he had a bit of treatment on his right forearm, didn't he? Sort of late on in the match. And he did look physically hampered, but he also looked completely out of steam as you say, completely frustrated and grumpy and at times unprofessional. Um, and I, I was quite surprised before the match to read comments from him after the Western and Southern Open saying he really struggled for motivation playing without crowds. And I wonder if that was what was going on today, but I sort of feel like get over it and get on with it, mm. you know? Yeah, he's one of those guys, Diego Schwartzman, because he doesn't have a particularly big game he sort of needs all the parts of his game to be working and they just weren't and you know he sort of relies on consistency and he was missing massively and he relies on being faster than his opponent and he wasn't moving particularly well and I think a big a big factor in this tournament could be in the men's tournament could be the five sets I mean these guys are not conditioned at the moment for five sets tennis. And Diego Schwartzman, to me, looked like he completely ran out of steam in that fifth set. He was he was barely moving his feet by the end of it. I think that was what got Cameron Norrie over the line. He's played a lot more matches over the lockdown period. Schwartzman for a while was stuck in Argentina, not being able to play tennis. He just didn't he didn't quite look ready for five sets to me. And maybe that was why he was frustrated because he because he probably knew that and he, he was in a position to win that match in straight sets. And when he didn't finish it off, he probably knew that Cameron Norrie had that kind of physical edge over him. And um, yeah, it all sort of boiled over and he started having arguments with the umpire. And 
any little thing he was he was getting to him and he was making a big deal out of it it was uh, it was a it was a diego schwartzman i've never seen before and i didn't particularly like it i, I want old diego back <laughs> uh yeah i couldn't agree more do you want matt cam norrie to now inherit the arthur ash stadium hospitality box which are designated to all the seeded players is should there be a protocol in place this is a grand slam it's the protocol slam should there be a (laughs) protocol in place meaning that an exiting seeded player concedes their vip hospitality suite which i've seen a tour of by andy murray today it looks very swanky um yeah to to the player that beats them i think that absolutely should happen i think it it's a great idea, isn't it? I mean, it would put it puts even more on the line of those matches for the unseeded player. A kind of a kind of sweet Arthur Ashe sweet roulette or winner stays on type situation. <laughs> I love it. Obviously, they would need to be deep cleaned and wiped with antibacterial wipes. That's after the bit the we don't need to see, it, Matt. But that's fine. That can go on in the 24 hours in between. Yeah, I think it's great because that was one of the images of the day, wasn't it? A a shirtless and slumping and sad Diego Schwartzman. Outstaying his welcome in his hospitality suite. Yeah. Just one last day watching Alexander Zverev before he, before he concedes his suite to someone else. He, Alexander Zverev does not have to concede his suite. There was a moment there where he was, you know, the, the, the keys to the suite were on the table, but he, he does get to keep them. He won the first set on the tie break against Kevin Anderson, uh, lost the second and ended up winning through in four. And then having a sort of a virtual moment with his brother courtside after the match. Hmm. Mm. What do we think about the virtual moments, Matt? I was ready to hate them. (laughs) But I actually quite liked that moment with his brother. I thought it was actually quite nice. We're also seeing winners on Arthur Ashe Stadium Court still hitting balls into the stands, which at first looked like a bit of a curiosity because obviously the stands are completely (laughs) empty. But it turns out they've put targets around the top edge of the Arthur Ashe Stadium and every winning player gets three opportunities to mm-hmm. hit a ball at the targets and should they hit one then $1,000 is donated to one of the USTA charities so they're, they're trying aren't they? They're trying to to make it feel are they trying to make it feel less weird or are they trying to embrace the weird and make a feature of it i guess kind of a bit of both i think it's that isn't it yeah i think it's that mm. it's it's a it's quite a simple idea quite a fun idea and if they can if they can make a bit of money along the way for a good cause then i think it's the sort of thing that they should be doing i've, I've yet to confirm whether anyone has actually hit a target yet it's certainly not caused any kind of stir if they have matt it's <laughs> no. it's, it's passed me by if they have um, totally. Seeing as I've mentioned weird, should we segue into Stefanos Tsitsipas? And his press conference, you mean? And his press conference, because his tennis was, was brilliant today. He won Albert Ramos Vinales, which sort of looked like maybe a, a 
a tricky draw. He just absolutely ate him for breakfast today. So, yeah, sensational tennis, weird press conference. Yeah, I think when you have a weird press conference, it's often a sign that your match, you didn't need to talk about it. And I think in this in this instance, it's a positive sign. As you said, he played so well, there was nothing really to talk about about the match. It was so straightforward. He was great. Every single question in his press conference <laughs> was about towels. <laughs> He's not exaggerating, folks. There is there is a transcript. It's a on the internet. Page. Every single question. One question is simply, have you got any good towel stories? <laughs> have you ever been asked that, Matt? No. And my mind would freeze imagine, and I would Imagine being put on the spot and having to produce a towel story. I know. At, at, Impossible. Without warning. One of my favourite things at Grand Slams is trying to spot the journalist who's got a sort of very specific article to write. I remember at the French Open last year, it was Dustin Brown and everyone and everyone <laughs> in the draw was being asked about Dustin Brown to get their perspective on it. And obviously at the moment, it's towels. I mean, he was a great target, wasn't he? Because Sitsipas, a lot of players would just go, oh, why are you asking me about towels? But Sitsipas sort of really earnestly... <laughs> thought carefully about all of the towel questions and in fact started you know predictably philosophically talking about the significance of towels in his life um, which I suppose is very on brand and probably exactly (laughs) what we should have expected from the first day of the US Open. And I hope the journalist goes to Kevin Anderson's press conference because he was doing the most interesting Ah. towel thing today, which was sticking it down the back of his shorts so that he had sort of quick, easy access to it because he sweats a lot. Apparently that's a throwback thing that Mm. they always used to do. Um, And then Paul Greg Rosetsky has been credited with inventing the, the towel movement, hasn't he? I think he refutes that. I probably should put his side of the story across. <laughs> I was going to say credited but, is a is a choice there. Criticised yes. would be another word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we've lost Coco Goff to Anastasia Savastova. That is uh, the match that I was covering before, before coming off air earlier on today. Difficult to know precisely how much to read into that because... Anyone can lose to Anastasia Savastova and certainly anybody can do so at the US Open where she's got this this crazy brilliant record. She's quarter finalist three out of the last four years, semi-finalist a few a few years ago. And she can be a joy to watch and also a, a total frustration to watch. She looks like she's sort of on the edge of breakdown all the time to Savastova. <laughs> And I'm very conscious that when we discuss this, we should always remember that Coco Goff is 16 years old. But there is just an ever so tiny, and I really do mean tiny, but backwards direction of travel slightly with Coco Goff. I I feel like the double faults need, it just needs dealing with, I I think, now before it becomes a Zverevi type situation. Mm. Yeah, there were 13 double faults, I believe, today, which which is a lot. Um, And I think Pam Shriver tweeted that there's kind of work to be done on that serve in terms of the rhythm of it and the ball toss. And and she expressed a bit of surprise, Pam Shriver, that that it hadn't been addressed during 
the sort of lockdown period. I don't think it was a criticism. It was just a surprise. And I think Sevastova kind of said it best in terms of how we should be talking about Coco Golf. The very first line of Sevastova's press conference was, well, I would love to have played that well at 16 years old, which <laughs> I just thought was a very neat summary that we shouldn't, you know, we should always keep that in mind with Coco Golf. I think it's fine, though, to point out things that need addressing. I think there's this strange... There's this strange attitude around Coco Goff that you can't praise her too much because she's 16 years old, but you can't sort of point things out mm. either because she's 16 years old. I kind of think both things are okay. But yeah, I mean, Sevastova, the, the weird thing is that, as you said, anyone can lose to her. And yet no one really has been losing to her this year because she'd lost in the first round of seven straight tournaments this this season. I had no idea she had that horrible a record recently. That had that had passed me by a little. Because the big headline Sevastova result of the year was her win over Serena in the Fed Cup. So she's now only got two wins this whole year against Serena in Fed Cup <laughs> and Coco Goff in the first round of the US Open. Um, extraordinary. And that was a match where I really missed fans. I must say, I mean, I've missed them all day. Um, fans make make tournaments, make stadiums feel alive. And I was just thinking back to Coco Goff's run last year where those mm. those crowds, that energy was such a big part of it. And to have that missing today could also potentially have been a factor. I think I I think I saw Chris Everett said that she thought Coco Goff might have won that match if there were fans in the crowd behind her. I think it is going to be affecting some results. And um, that was one where it just felt like Coco Goff might have might have had a little bit more energy or just a higher level down the stretch if she'd had fans as she did last year. How much more, Matt, have you missed fans today? And it is early days. And my experience prior to the US Open is that I, that I have got used to it and adjusted and even learnt to a to appreciate some elements of there there being no crowds, but how how much more have you felt that loss today compared to the few weeks of non Grand Slam tennis without fans that we'd seen before today? I'd say I felt it a lot more keenly today, and I think I think one of the reasons for that is. As you know, Catherine, when there's so many matches on on the first day of a slam, I, I love it, but I also get a little bit stressed by it. And it's sort of my my favourite and least favourite <laughs> Matt Roberts all at the same time. He has this, for such a calm, collected man, this sort of slightly wild look in his eye the whole time. It's sort of great and disconcerting. But But one of the tools I usually use in terms of determining what to watch, I have a sort of multi-screen setup and I have the sound on and you will look up when you hear a big roar and you kind of know that that's a match to go to and follow and something epic is happening. And it and you just feel a little bit more disconnected, I think, from all the action when there's no fans because there's just not that natural soundtrack sort of telling you and guiding you where to go and what to watch. Um, Daniela Hantikova also made the point on air today, which... I hadn't really given much time to before today, but it's very interesting uh, perspective from her that she said as one of the, obviously this would apply to seeded players more than unseeded players and certainly the higher profile ones the most, but 
just being able to walk around freely at a slam, wander around, not worry about having to have security to get from A to B or whether you can even get from A to B. Just obviously in lots of ways, their freedoms are restricted, but actually on site at the tennis centre, in a, in a lot of ways, their freedoms are greater mm. for their not being fans there. And yeah, that just, she, she her eyes lit up at it. She said, I would have just loved to be able to walk around that place as it is right now. So that was, I suppose that was one of the, I mean, it was an upset and also not an upset at all. It was more sort of a result that will make headlines rather than an upset. The top seed Plushkovich, she won through pretty easily. Um, and at Contivate survived a bit of a scare against uh, Danielle Collins. That's a that's a blooming tough draw for her. Kvitova, she was strong against Arena Camellia Begu, Kerber, David Law's pick for the tournament. I'm not going to get worried about David Law having back to back to dark horse correctly just yet. But everyone is saying that she was really, really good today. And that annoyed me a little bit, not because I don't like Angelique Kerber, but because it would just annoy me. Sasnovich gave me a bit of a scare. Uh, but she won through. Yep, she she won the she lost the first set six two, Matt, and I f- I felt a little shaky. She was match point down uh, in the second set. Was she? Yeah, she was match I'm point down. Really glad I didn't know about that <laughs> at the time. I feel like I've got a lot of credibility riding on her. <laughs> I'm really enjoying having company in a sort of crazy <laughs> yes. prediction world that we're in um, because normally you're out on your own with one and you get mocked on sort of on kind of all sides but we've got each other for some moral support with Sasnovich. Humiliation loves company mm. Matt. Um, <laughs> no other particularly notable results I don't think. Um, yeah Vondrosheva she won. We won't we, 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 we don't need to start talking about her just yet and the fact that we've all completely written her off and until she reaches the semis or the final we'll we'll park that but in terms of news stories there is there is one big result from the day today and that is uh christina medenovic winning through seven five six two over Haley baptiste um just before we get on to the you know less significant news story wasn't that david's uh pick for an upset today Haley baptiste or was it no hang on was it yours that was mine, yes. <laughs> oh, oh no! That was a genuine error. I wasn't, I wasn't passive aggressively trying to set you up for a fall there. But I've it's done all right, it because so... we've all fallen with our with our daily predictions. Yes. Back with a bang, zero out of three. Luckily, though, events events were so sort of dramatic um, in the aftermath of that match that the world didn't notice Matt Roberts' poor prediction. Because, um, yeah, straight sets win from Ledenovic. She lets out this guttural scream on match point. Really sort of animalistic roar mm. uh, that I've, I'm not sure I've ever heard from, from her before. And then she does this socially distanced on-court interview afterwards where she's she's asked about, she's asked a pretty innocuous question about what the win means to her. And she sort of starts off by saying, well, yeah, it means a lot the last two days have been awful I, I i don't know how much i can i can't say very much about it but then she goes on to say quite a lot she says she's in a a bubble within a bubble because she is one of those players who has had contact with benoit pair over the course of the last week and the way the usta is now 
dealing with that as a result of the contact tracing they've done rather than immediately remove those players who are deemed to have had close contact with someone who's tested positive from the draw they've elected instead to create bubbles within bubbles and that seems to be the situation that Denovich is in. She was asked what she's now able to do from her bubble within a bubble within a bubble within a bubble. And she said, play my matches and nothing else, pretty much. And we understand that there are 11 players in this situation. And that's not been confirmed by the USDA. There's a whole lot of situations speculation about who those are. Zverev said in a Eurosport interview that one of those players was Medvedev. That seems to not be true at all. It's a bit of a circus surrounding it all, isn't it? It is. It's understood that Edouard Roger Vasselin, Richard Gasquet, Grégoire Barrère and Adrian Manorino. Oh, it's not a good time to be French. It's not. They've all been playing cards, apparently. If, this is really showing up the cliqueiness of the of the French players. <laughs> yes, they only hang out with other French players, yeah. and it's a really, really bad time to have been at that card table. Are we believing they were playing cards? It's sort of it's sort of very quaint, isn't it? Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> but Edouard Roger Vasselin gave some more details about sort of what they can and can't do um they obviously now have to all eat in their rooms they're tested every morning now they're not allowed to use the lift um they're taken in cars back and forth from the hotel to the courts rather than rather than the buses and if like roger vasselin you play doubles you're obviously not allowed to see your doubles partner apart from when you're on the court um now there is a school of thought, I think, that, and I know Greg Wazetsky was saying this on the Prime coverage, that the USDA deserve kind of praise for this in terms of getting the players on the court. I feel a little differently, and I, I feel it's actually quite problematic that this is happening, um, sort of relaxing the protocol just seemingly because it affects more than one or two people. I share the same concerns. It it definitely is a, a deviation from from the protocol as we as we understood it. Yeah, my, I certainly have outstanding concerns about exactly why that has happened. And as you say, it's it's it mm. certainly looks on the surface like it's because it affects an inconveniently large number of number of players and and the second the second concern i have that remains unanswered is why dis, despite any outcome of 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 testing why benoit pair didn't have to self isolate while he was showing symptoms because i've gone back and watched the footage of his retirement from that bonnechorich match and those were okay they they could have been symptoms of something other than covid but they were definitely symptoms similar enough to to COVID symptoms mm. or indicative enough of COVID that you shouldn't need a, a protocol to tell you to do something. As far as I'm concerned, it's your sort of social moral responsibility as an adult at the moment to to follow the follow the advice which is out there, which is that if you exhibit those sorts of symptoms, you should be self isolating. So the fact that all of these 
extremely social sounding card games were happening and all sorts of other stuff um, after he exhibited those. I mean, he could have been my, my best friend and I wouldn't have gone near him after that Borna Chorich match a week ago. So that that alarms me somewhat. But I just keep my fingers and toes crossed that this is that it is contained and they have they have got lucky with this because you know it's possible you know as we've seen with Benoit Pair that we won't know for for some time so yeah a developing situation none of these stories are going away yeah and in the midst of it Stefana Sitsabas will continue talking about towels I'm sure <laughs> Matt before I leave you in the capable hands of of David Law how's how's the caravan chilly I haven't, haven't quite got to grips with the heating system. But other than that, and well equipped and nice. And I was concerned that the internet might not be up to multiple streams and Zoom calls, but all fine on that front. So, yes, fine. I feel a little bit like I'm on holiday. It's a little bit lonely and it's a little bit chilly, as I said. But I'm in and it's fine. And I'm not disturbing my parents, which was the aim of the whole thing. Yes, and you've got a multi-screening setup going on in the caravan? I have, yes. I've sort of moved a lot of things about and um, I've managed to set up three screens. So we're all set. Photos to follow, folks. Follow us on social media if you if you wish for photos of the, of the, what we're modestly calling a caravan, but is actually a sort of luxurious palatial bachelor pad that matt's got three screens going on it sounds great doesn't it what sounds less great now matt is the fact that you've got to wait for the conclusion (laughs) if kyle edmund and uh, alexander bublik which looks like it's entering a third set tie break all i can say is this was your idea which makes it even worse (laughs) take a deep breath and remember it's tennis and we thought we might not get tennis this year And on that note... Don't guilt trip me like that. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to leave you, Matt, and the listeners with David Law. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. I've most enjoyed listening to that. And now I've also very much enjoyed commentating on Kyle Edmund, who has eventually been victorious against uh, the bizarre Mr. Alexander Bublik. 7-5 in the third set, and then he raced through the fourth set when, frankly, Bublik had just had enough. Um, and Bublik threw it away. He hit three double faults in a single game to uh, to squander his advantage in the third set. All very entertaining. But, uh, you know, don't put your mortgage on Alexander Bublik coming through for you, is all I can say. Uh, and actually, to be fair to Carl Edmund, he's bulked his, himself up during the lockdown period. He looks strong. He looks fit. Uh, he was a worthy winner in the end. I think it was 2-6-7-5-7-5, maybe 6-1 in the fourth. I can't exactly remember. And now he plays Novak Djokovic because Djokovic has found a way, well, I say found a way past Damage. It was one-sided. It was 6-1, 6-4, Second set, actually, there were some great games. There were two games that were more than 10 minutes long each. But it felt, Matt... I know you didn't get a chance to see this because you've been editing the first part of the show, but it felt like uh, Djokovic was almost using him as a bit of a sparring partner to me in the second set. Zuma played very well. He's a good player. He's compact. He's got slice. He's got lovely guile and touch, but it just allowed Djokovic to just work these rallies, you know, and, and get used to the surroundings of this cavernous Arthur Ashe Stadium with its the 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 various messages that are draped over the seats in place of fans and you know just get his eye in and and I think that that couldn't have been a, a better first round draw for him in many ways you know what I mean rather than a big hitter I think it's absolutely perfect for Djokovic in round one Demir Juma and in a match like that you kind of see what Djokovic has in his repertoire sometimes because he can open his shoulders and he can and he can be a very creative player on the court and he can manoeuvre people around the court. I think there's sometimes a description of Djokovic as a bit of a backboard, but he's he's absolutely not that. He's got so much in his game and when he comes up against someone like Juma, he can really express himself and really play himself into form and I think it's the perfect opening match. And to be honest... I think Edmund's got a lot more weapons than Demir Juma, but I actually think a second-round match against Kyle Edmund is also pretty good for Novak Djokovic. Mm. I, I, I mean, he has got one win over Djokovic as Edmund, but that was in Madrid. It doesn't feel like the same sort of thing. I would say, in a way, the bigger hope for Edmund is the match they played at Wimbledon, I think, a year and a half ago or two years ago, where Edmund won the first set and was, was rocking Djokovic with his power he was really going after the forehand he was bullying him for a while but Djokovic has the most amazing ability to just put the ball where you don't want it to be and to put it deep and to diffuse your power he diffuses power better than anybody in the game uh, and the men's game anyway and he, he I think it, when you talk about People used to call him a human backboard. I would say that I would probably be guilty of that in in his early career. But my mind always goes back to Todd Martin when he worked with Djokovic. He he told me that Novak 
likes nothing more than to rest on his laurels. And what that means is to rest on the fact that his movement is so incredible it can get him out of trouble. And he's so much more than that now. He's just he's completely overhauled his game over the last 10 to 15 years. If you look at the various stages he's gone through, whether it's Boris Becker coming in and coaching him and giving him a different a different way of going about things and several other coaches... As you, you rightly say, he now can he can take on a baseliner and beat them in so many different ways. He's all, he always used to have a, a great drop shot when he first came out onto the circuit, but he was overly indulgent with it. Now it's just all very cleverly utilised to to maximum effect. Um, but I am interested to see. I mean, Edmund, I think if he played well, could I don't think he, I'd be surprised if he won a set, but I think he could get a break of serve i think he could stay with him i think he could hurt him in in pockets because he does have a forehand that can take the game away from you but i but i'd i'd be i think if he gets a set he'll he'll be doing really well yeah i i always think of that edmund match at wimbledon that you mentioned as a as the match which brought out novak djokovic the real novak djokovic once again because it was it was around that time that he had been slumping, wasn't it? And he'd he'd had a good run at Queens. He'd reached the final and lost to Marin Cilic. But it was that when he was down against Kyle Edmund in that Wimbledon match, and suddenly he found that resilience and that defiance on the court again, which had been missing for so long. He'd been a he'd been a kind of vacuum of a man on the on the tennis court for a couple of years, and. He really had to raise his game against Kyle Edmund on that day, I remember. But kind of since then, he's been he's been carrying this wave of confidence and incredible results. And I just think he's playing at a at a level which which will be too high for most people in this draw to touch. And unfortunately for Kyle Edmund, I think too much for him as well. Mm. God, it's been a long cold day today, hasn't it, for us at the tennis? I mean, you know, day one, uh, we we have they happened to schedule three back-to-back men's matches on court five, which and we were doing on BBC Radio. We were doing the Cameron Norrie match and then the Carl Edmund match with Taylor Fritz in between, and somehow, obviously, Norrie went five sets, uh, and then Carl Edmund's gone four sets, two of them seven five, and we've had uh, Taylor Fritz in the middle somehow managing to lose a set against somebody you really shouldn't have been losing a set against. Uh, so that has meant that we are sitting here at 3.15 in the morning um, here in the UK with Naomi Osaka at the moment. She's got a, a break of serve in her match against Masaki Doi. And, and I, yeah, I noticed uh, Naomi Osaka came out onto the court wearing a mask that had the name Breonna Taylor written on it, which, um, again, is another statement of social justice that she is trying to further with every passing day it seems and uh, and fair play to, to Naomi Osaka for that not sure how the hamstring is but she's 4-2 up in the first set so that uh, sounds like it's going well so far so tomorrow Andy Murray is playing a Grand Slam match for the first time in nearly two years it was the Australian Open wasn't it when he played against Roberto Bautista Gutt we thought it was the final Grand Slam match that we would ever see him play. And he gave his pre-tournament press conference here um, a couple of days ago. And, and 
there were some really revealing, quite moving moments in that press conference when he was he was asked by the British media to explain how he's felt at various points over the last couple of years and whether whether he ever thought he would see this day. And he said, it kind of depends when you asked me that. If you'd have asked me that at various points over the last 18 months, I mean, we've obviously all seen the Amazon Prime Video documentary um, resurfacing. And you can tell there that there are definitely moments since then uh, and, and I think even after his his restart, when he won the title in Antwerp, when when he really did wonder whether he would see this day, um, and here he is. It's 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 an amazing achievement in itself. And my my favourite bit of the press conference was Stu Fraser from the Times asking him if there was anybody that he had sort of taken inspiration from over the course of the last couple of years when he was trying to come back and 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 I think Stu was actually Stu actually said you may, maybe a fellow athlete that you might have been in touch with and and confided in or taken some inspiration from and Murray took a, a few seconds to think about this and and then he said well actually there is somebody who's been an inspiration to me and it's a surgeon that uh, when I first got my injury in uh, in 2017, my hip injury, and I was I was getting consultancy about it, he said to me, "Your only chance to get this right is to have hip resurfacing or a hip replacement, but you'll never play tennis again." And I thought to myself, "Oh, okay, we'll see about that." Um, and then two years later, when he had the hip resurfacing, he said, I happened to bump into this surgeon when I was in, um, in the hospital the morning after the, um, the surgery. And he said, I, I, saw, I saw the doctor. Uh, just we sort of, our eyes met and he kind of smiled at me. And he said to my wife, I told him this would happen. And he and Murray said, and he sounded a bit smug to me, uh, and a bit pleased with it with himself about it, as though you know. And I thought, I don't like that, and I'm going to go and prove him wrong. <laughs> um, and and it's just classic Murray, isn't it? It's almost a little bit like the Last Dance with Michael Jordan finding something to just give him that extra edge. And uh, and he said, you know, I, I have considered sending him a bottle of wine um, uh, now that I'm back out on the court. And, um, you know, when I when I managed to make my comeback and, and win Antwerp, I did consider that. I haven't done it yet, but uh, it's it's just another classic example of how Andy Murray ticks, isn't it? Yeah, do not tell Andy Murray no, because he will just go out there and prove you wrong he's spent a career doing that on the tennis court and this is a a wonderful example of him just uh yeah just getting a little hook of motivation and and using it to fuel himself um yeah it was a great tale i don't think he needs to send the to send the bottle of wine i think he said all all that needs to be said i'm sure i'm sure word has reached that surgeon and he is uh sort of quaking having having been called out and heard that story i'm sure 
Yoshihito Nishioka is the opponent of Andy Murray, and that match is going to be played at 5 p.m. Um, in the UK. So it's uh, midday uh, local time in New York. That's the first match on the Arthur Ashe Stadium tomorrow. Uh, Nishioka is the player that beat Dan Evans in the Australian Open this year. Good player, bit of a ball machine. I think he could make it quite competitive, actually. I think Murray's going to have to play well if if Nishioka plays well. Yeah, it's going to be a real test of Murray's stamina and endurance, I think, over five sets. Obviously, this being his first Grand Grand Slam match, as you've said, since January 2019. It's his first five-set match since then as well. Um, Nishioka himself has had lots of injury problems, hasn't he? I remember he um, he did his knee, I think, a couple of years ago and, and was out for, about a, for a lengthy period of time as well and has been steadily making a comeback. But he's, he's quite an exciting, exciting player to watch, left-handed, as you said, incredible foot speed. And I think, I think that one could have some very, very lengthy and sort of interesting rallies as they move each other about the court that'll be that'll be a good one to watch that mm, yeah um joe conta is playing against heather watson in their first ever meeting at a grand slam tournament so the two the two british players that are in the draw in the women's draw facing each other so let's look at it on the positive side from a british perspective there's going to be a player in the round two uh conta has won their three previous meetings although one was a retirement the other two in nottingham on grass and in indian wells on hard courts over the last two or three years both in straight sets um if she plays like she did last week she's gonna win isn't she i think so she was so impressive in the western and southern open striking the ball with such conviction and just at a at a level above what heather watson is capable of i think um hasn't hasn't heather watson never won a match at the us open in the seniors mm. which which is one of those one of those really curious facts given that she won the juniors here you would think that that was indicative of her liking the conditions but clearly not um yeah i think i think Conta starts as quite a quite a strong favourite in that match. Mm. Uh, and Conta also gave a press conference. Um, uh, I interviewed her as well. She she was saying that she thinks it's going to be a long time before the two tours will properly merge. Uh, she said, "I don't think it'll happen during my career." But one answer that I was really quite jolted by was she was asked about again by Stu Fraser about the Battle of the Brits uh, that she took part in and the moment when she played a couple of days and then after the final uh, in the presentation they she wasn't there and her own teammates brought out a, a cardboard cutout of her um, a big photograph and, 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 and the point was made that there were it felt like they were kind of mocking her a little bit. The fact that she wasn't there as a teammate to to, to cheer them on, etc. She said in this interview that, look, you know, I, I actually signed up to this thing for two days and nobody seemed to tell my teammates that that's what I'd agreed to play. And the rest of the time I was practicing in my own time as, as I'd agreed to. And I got the sense she was quite hurt by that. Um, to be honest, and she speaks quite warmly of Heather Watson as being the British player that she 
uh, she gets on with best or that she's she speaks to quite a lot and and yeah I did feel a bit for Conta in that regard I mean I know she's uh you know she she's not a sociable type I don't think with the other players necessarily but that's that's kind of her call I mean she's her own she's her own person um and uh and yeah she's she she, her words were, I think that perhaps reflects more on them than it does on me, which uh, was quite a pointed line, really. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's good to see her at least playing good tennis again, and uh, and we'll see how she gets on against Watson tomorrow. Um, after that, Dan Evans is uh, taking to the court. Who's Dan Evans got in the first round? He's, He's got Sabot Wild, I think. Is that how you say oh, his name? Yes, who who had the the excellent win at the end of last or earlier this year? He played in the final tournament, I think, didn't he? Before lockdown or something like that. Yeah, Rio, perhaps or one Is of the Rio? one of the final ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. And on clay, he looked a good player, actually. Yeah, I think he's more of a clay court sort of slow court player. I mean, all the talk we're hearing is that the courts in New York are playing reasonably fast. This this year, certainly compared to other yeah. years, and I think those conditions will will favour Dan Evans in that matchup. Mm. Um, he is also, as as I recall, the fir- he was the first player I think to contract COVID nineteen. Mm. I remember him coming out and uh, and and giving a video message about that. So um, hopefully he's made a full recovery. Um, but uh, yeah, Evans, you would think is going to go into that match as uh, the favourite. So let's just have a, a quick look at the uh, the rest of the schedule for day two. We've got, starting things off, after Andy Murray, it's going to be Serena Williams against uh, Christiane, who had such a good run last year, but that's a tough old first-round draw for her. Uh, evening session on Arthur Ashe Stadium, it's Venus Williams against Karolina Muhova uh, of the Czech Republic, who's the 20th seed. That could be a very good match. Um, then it's Federico Del Bonis against Daniel Medvedev, uh, the third seed. Uh, Louis Armstrong Court, Muguruza starts things off against Nao Hubino. Uh, Dominic Team against uh, Munar of Spain. Uh, it's Jaume, isn't it? Jaume Munar. Yes, um, And exactly. then it is Sophia Kenin against Janina Wickmeyer. Um, Madison Keys in the evening session. Grigor Dimitrov against Tommy Paul. Yeah, there's, there are a lot of good matches on the, the three main courts tomorrow. A lot of big names. Uh, Raonic playing as well. Algier Aliasim, uh, Sloane Stevens, Matteo Berrettini. Um, and then court five for the Brits that I mentioned with Contour against uh, Watson. That match second on after another women's match between Mertens and Sigmund. So probably around about... 6pm British time, you would think that would be on, but a bit of a shame that it clashes with uh, with Andy Murray from a TV perspective. But uh, on BBC Radio, I think uh, we'll be able to cover that quite well because we'll have commentators on both courts. So um, looking forward to it. And, and how about this? Just buried away on court 11, fifth on, Kim Clijsters hmm. against Ekaterina Alexandrova. Um, so it's uh, it really will be so interesting to see how she gets along. Um, so that is tomorrow. Also wanted to just mention that uh, on September the 1st, which is now officially today, uh, a book is being released about Pete Sampras by one of our contributors to the Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe 
documentary podcast that we put out last week, and that's uh, Steve Flink, who's been in the game for so many years and one of the great historians of the sports, great journalist, great writer. And he's done this book with Pete Sampras. He's done a lot of interviews with Pete. It's called Greatness Revisited. And he's also interviewed Novak Djokovic, uh, who was, uh, who idolized Sampras uh, in his formative years and lots of the players that played against Sampras as well. Um, and personally, I can't wait to have a read of that. And, and I wanted to give it a mention because Steve is one one of one of the good guys of the tennis world and, and I'm sure that that book really will be something and I think it's available now in fact as we speak uh, on Amazon so if you'd like to have a, a read of that go and have a look for Steve Flink's book on Pete Sampras Greatness Revisited. So I think that's it for one night isn't it Matt? I I think it is David. <laughs> what time did you start just, your just day? Just in the morning. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I think I, I had to drive up to Manchester from where I live, uh, and I left home at about 11 this morning, and I've obviously had to pack before then. I've had to see the kids before then. So, yeah, I think we're, we're, we're edging towards 22 hours so far that the day has been old <laughs> for me. Um, but I've loved every minute of it. And we'll do it all again tomorrow. Catherine will be presenting on Amazon Prime Video. I was watching her earlier today. She was doing a great job. Don't tell her I said that. Uh, and I will be commentating on BBC Radio from 5pm UK time with... Um, uh, Andy Murray's match against uh, Yoshihito Nishioka. So looking forward to all that in day two. Then we'll be doing another tennis podcast at the end of the day. Thanks for joining us for this one. If you've enjoyed it, do tell your friends. If you can think of anybody that you reckon might like this show, do pass it on to somebody else. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't already. It all helps to spread the word for us. Uh, much appreciated. If you want to get chatting to fellow listeners, we've got a, a, a subreddit uh, on the Reddit website, which you can look up the tennis podcast um, and chat with some some friends on there. And we've got all the links in our show notes for all these things. If you want to check out the details of uh, of the things our social media channels that we're associated with. But thanks for listening to this one. We'll be back again with you tomorrow and speak to you then. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.